on. Uh, I'm bringing a message this morning, a qualification message, and then Wednesday evening, Ted Steinruck will be with us. He's going to bring a qualification message. And after that, we will receive your nominations. And we do that back in the, what I call the girls' Sunday school room. And we invite you to come as, as couples or by yourself or however you would come and, and give your uh, nominations to us if you have them verbally. And it's, uh, I also encourage you to come if you don't have a nomination and simply wish the Lord's blessing. Tell us you're praying for the process and with, that is always very much appreciated as well. And it also, on the fact sheet, it says that uh, talks about absentee nominations. And just a reminder, if you're not able to be here Wednesday night and you want to submit an absentee nomination, put it in an envelope, mark it clearly on the outside, nomination for minister, and only one nomination per envelope, and make sure that myself or Jim has it prior to Wednesday evening because the nomination or the, we will announce the results of the nominations immediately after receiving them on Wednesday evening. And one more reminder, and that is that due to the Waterworks Church plant, Steve Musser is not eligible. And also we have various people serving in the mission field that have requested to not be eligible, and they are James and Roger Landis, Jason Stolzfus, and Philip Weaver. So keep that in mind. Thank you, Jim, for calling everybody to fasting and prayer. This is a very serious time in the life of our congregation. And I encourage us to take it very seriously. I always uh, say that I, it's, a, it's a combination of sensing the Lord's will and also using common sense and good judgment. Uh, this morning I'm going to talk about some qualities. And so it's up to us to look at what the Bible has to say about the qualities for somebody in leadership and and compare that with someone that we would consider nominating. And it's important that someone that we would nominate we feel meets the qualifications for leadership. And then it's also important that we, that we have peace about it and we sense that God's spirit is saying, yes, this is who I would have you to nominate. And there's a lot of us who God will ask not to nominate anybody, and that's fine. You, you are not required to nominate anybody uh, but if, if you feel moved to do so and you and are comfortable the person meets the qualifications, I encourage you to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit and his direction in your life. The Christian's call, uh, for each one of us who are following the Lord Jesus, the call in our lives uh, was, come, follow me. You read through the New Testament and Jesus says, come, follow me. And for those of us who find ourselves in, in church leadership, we had another follow me call, kind of like Jesus when he was calling uh, his disciples. He's like, uh, come, follow me. It's not something that any of us sought out, but it was a call from God on our lives. And I will very quickly say that I, I have no regrets, and I sit together almost every month with the ministry team here at Myerstown. We by the way, love each other. We get along great. I never, uh, I always look forward to the meetings. We have, a, we have good meetings and we are blessed by each other and by God's leadership uh, that, that he gives to us as we lead the congregation here at Myerstown. And 
there's, uh, I, didn't, I didn't seek out to be a minister, but I'm not sorry that God called me to the position that he did. And I believe each one of us, as we, no matter where God leads us in life, the, the simple fact that we are a Christian and part of his kingdom is what, a, what is of the ultimate importance. And so if there's a, an additional call in your life to that of serving in church leadership, God will grant you the grace to, to do that. And he'll allow you to enjoy life as you do that uh, in the serve in the capacity that he called you to do. The general, general uh, go-to scriptures when it comes time for qualifications are 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the little pamphlets I handed out a few weeks ago. Uh, deals a lot with those portions of scripture. I'm going to stay away from that this morning. Trust you read those pamphlets. Most likely Ted will refer to them on Wednesday evening. Very familiar uh, portions of scripture about qualities for a minister. And this morning what I plan to do is use three very essential things. I've entitled the, me the message Essential Minister Qualities. I just want to focus in on, on three things that I believe are very, very important. Let's, let's think, uh, first off, just think a little bit about the responsibilities of a minister. They vary from congregation to congregation, but most times they involve a lot of study, sermon preparation, preaching, attending meetings, making decisions uh, at the, in a ministerial team level. And then also, most times, doing some outside assignments. There's always people calling, can you do this, can you do that? And so speaking engagements and other things outside of, of your home congregation. So those tend to be the responsibilities of a minister. And the ministry team usually d uh, divides them up. And so I know congregations where uh, they, they operate quite differently than we do here at Myerstown, and that's okay. Congregations divide their responsibilities many times according to the gifts of the people on the team. One of the things that is, is very, very important is that, and I believe Jim already mentioned it, we are calling a servant leader, somebody to be a servant, somebody to serve. And one thing that we all know about a servant is they know how to submit. I'll touch on that a little later, but a servant is someone who who knows how to submit. A servant is also a team player, someone who, uh, it, it's a team effort. When, when you think about sports, any team where there's no team, they call it team spirit or team effort, it's just not successful. It's important that, that the ministry team works together as a team and that we're close-knit and that we're open and honest with one another. When, uh, on June 28th, Lord willing, when we have the ordination, the person that's called is going to make some vows and make a commitment that goes along with being, being called to the ministry, the same as goes along with becoming a Christian. To become a Christian, one surrenders our life. We commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ when we, you think of baptismal vows, you think of marriage vows, uh, they all involve surrender and commitment. And so in at a time of an ordination, it's also surrender, surrender my life 
in, in this capacity to serve the Lord and a leadership team of a church and, and also a commitment to do it faithfully. I'd like to think about a few things in the ordination charge. I was, and this is the charge that I will use as, as, to ordain a, a minister after he, he and she give their vows if he's married. And the, this ordination charge, as I read over it, I'm impressed because I know that men from probably over 100 years ago or maybe, I don't know, 1,000 years ago, put together this charge, and it's a charge that has been used down through the, through the ages, so to speak. And I just want to pick out a few things where it gives instructions to the person that is being ordained. And the very first thing that, it's, that it says in the way of instruction, is, it says that they are to preach the gospel in its purity and to warn the sinner and to admonish the unconverted to repent. So in other words, be an evangelist. That is what, that's the most important thing in the world is for souls to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we have ministry. That's why we get together to, to worship the Lord from week to week and, and we have the pastor stand up and, and admonish the lost. You need to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior lest you spend eternity apart from him. It is very, very important. And so that is the first thing that is listed in the ordination charge. And then it lists uh, a number of very positive things. And they are, you need to teach. You need to be a teacher. Uh, we as God's people and, and those that come into our midst who are not born again need to be taught. We come to church week after week wanting to be taught. And so we sit and listen while uh, God's servants teach us. And so that's the, the second thing mentioned in the ordination charge is to teach, to instruct, and to comfort. And that is, that's something that is so important uh, as, as a church leader. There's always comforting needing to be done. And it's important that a, that a church leader does that, knows how to do that. And sometimes it, it see, there's, it, you see or you have situations that seem so impossible and you don't even know how to comfort. But we're called to comfort. And, and the next very positive one that is listed is to encourage others. So I, that's a very important one, and it's always good to go home from church on a Sunday morning feeling encouraged, feeling like you have been taught. I've been taught. I've been encouraged. If comforting was needed, I've been comforted. I've been instructed. And then, uh, before the charge switches over to some things that are more negative, it says this. It says, you must be instant in season and out of season. And so we're looking for someone, a quality of a good church leader is someone that is stable. They're the same on Tuesday as they are on Sunday morning. They're ready to, as we say sometimes, preach or pray at a given moment, they're ready to go. They're instant, in season and out of season. They're very stable uh, person. And then it lists a bunch of negative things, but they're also very important. It says you need to reprove. You need to rebuke. You need to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. 
And lastly, it says you need to make full proof of your ministry. And so quite a charge that we're going to lay on, uh, on an individual as they pick up church leadership here at, at Myerstown and serve as the role of a minister. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. I want to use this for a text this morning. John chapter 21. I'm going to be thinking a lot about Peter. And I want to pull out three things that I, I believe are very, very essential in church leadership. And let me start reading, read the first 14 verses, make a few comments. Uh, John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far away from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, and dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three, and for, and for all there was so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. In this uh, portion of scripture, one of the things that I, when, when I read over this, I, I think of the, the absolute necessity for God leading a ministerial team. If you will, your ministerial team here at Myerstown is like the disciples here in the boat. We're out there and we can, we, in and of our own strength, we can fish all night and it seems like we're getting nowhere. But when we allow the Lord to direct us and we're sensitive to his will for us, suddenly things come together and, and there's, uh, it all works out for the good. And there's, there's more spiritual blessings than we can handle as here there was more fish than, than they knew what to do with. I can, I can only imagine, knowing Peter, that after they were out there all night fishing, and they're not, they didn't catch any fish, and Jesus is on the shore, and they don't know it's Jesus, and he says, hey, cast your net on the other side. Peter, being an experienced fisherman, 
The Bible doesn't say this, and it may not have happened, but I can imagine Peter saying to the other disciples, wait a minute, you guys are crazy. We're out here all night. We're dragging this net, and now this man on the shore says, throw it over on this side, and it's like, I'm tired. Let's get to shore. And, and the other disciples are like, no, no, no. Let's, we need to do this. And, you know, it's, it's like that sometimes on a ministerial team. Uh, we, we talk to each other and we say, you know what? Uh, you know, we, we discuss things and we mutually agree that this would be a good thing to do. And sometimes one or two of us might be a little reluctant, not so sure about it. But here, at the, as a team, they, they did the right thing. They made the decision. Throw the net on the other side. And something really, really wonderful happened. And they caught all those fish. They come into land, and Jesus is there pre already preparing fish. And they had this uh, wonderful time enjoying this meal together. And so it is very, very important if a congregation is going to be spiritually nourished, as this group of, of people were, were physically nourished, it's very important that the people in the boat or your ministry team, that they are taking directions from the Lord Jesus. And that's what we as your ministry team long to do. It's what we want to do. And as that happens, and only as that happens, can a congregation flourish and wonderful things happen. People come to know the Lord as their savior and a congregation is spiritually fed and, and uh, flourishes. Now, for to the three points that I have this morning, I would like to read, let's read verses 15 through 17. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. And my first point that I want to make this morning is as we think about an essential quality that an individual needs to have to be to be used in church leadership is a genuine love for God. A genuine love for God. Notice in verse 17, uh, Jesus is asking Peter three times, and Peter finally getting a little frustrated, and he says, Lord, you know all things. But yet Jesus felt the need to keep pressing Peter. You know, Peter's a very, inter very interesting individual in the scriptures. He was like, uh, Peter's like a roller coaster. He's like very bold. He's very outspoken. And sometimes he's way up. And the next time he's way down. And he's just like all over the place. But Jesus just really pressed him. Do you really love me, Peter? And then Jesus keeps... Uh, the response that, that Jesus gives to Peter is one of the things that I, I, I just want us all to grasp this morning. And that is, Jesus says to Peter, 
if you really love me, you will feed my lambs and my sheep. Now, Peter, just a few hours before this, said, you know what? I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, we'll go along. And they're like, back to their old life, going fishing. And Jesus is, is pressing Peter, and he's saying, if you love me, you're going to feed my lambs, and you're going to feed my sheep. I have many, many memories of growing up as a young lad in my parents' household of, of mealtime. We all had our spot at the table, and uh, mother prepared these wonderful meals day after day after day. I have many memories of Marion and I and our children growing up and Marion preparing these wonderful meals day after day. Everybody had their spot at the table. And my mother and Marion and all you mothers here today, you do that because you love your families. And so you physically provide for, you feed them. You day after day, you prepare those meals, which is not an easy task, and you set that food out and everybody sits down and hopefully enjoys it. And, this is, and it's just repeated time after time again. And Jesus is making the, the point to Peter, if you really love me, the evidence is going to show in the fact that you're going to feed my lambs and my sheep. Do you see the parallel? Can you imagine uh, what you would say about a mother that wouldn't feed her family? A father that wouldn't provide her with the necessities that she needs to prepare the food for the family? We would say, well, it's a very dysfunctional home and something is amiss. And so the same thing holds true in, in, the, in God's family and in the church. And a minister needs to feed the flock. He needs to feed God's children. And Jesus makes the point here and he does it very emphatically. That is the proof, Peter that you love me if you'll feed my lambs and my sheep. That's the proof, that's the evidence. And so that's a, that's a challenge to anybody in the ministry. It's a challenge to any Sunday school teacher. If you really love God, we're going to feed uh, God's sheep. When you, when you, when you think of the importance of feeding we can't feed. This is, this is what we use to feed the lambs and the sheep. It's God's word. And we all have a Bible. We've, we've had Bibles for a long, long time, and we have access to them. And sometimes we, we, we fail to recognize the importance of them and the importance of the word of God in the minister's hand when he studies and he stands up and he, he has a message prepared and he delivers a message to the congregation as he feeds the little lambs and the, and the mature sheep as well. I, Marion's reading a book, and she had it laying there beside her chair, and, and uh, yesterday I picked it up, and I, I'm going to give a little bit of a book review, because there was, it just, and I just jumped right into the middle of the book and read a few pages, and I was like, wow, this is interesting. I need to read this book sometime. And I plan to do that. But the, the book is entitled Unconditional Surrender. It was wrote in 2016 or published in 2016. And Pablo Yoder wrote the book. Maybe some of you read it. But it's the true story about a man named Pete Lewis. And it's his life story. And he was, 
and I was just captivated by uh, the little bit that I read about his life story. He was raised Catholic and uh, moved all over the country because his, his father was in the military. And his, his father just really impressed upon him the need to serve your country. And so as he uh, became an adult, he also enlisted in the military, joined the Navy, as I recall, and, and served in the Navy. He was a very particular person as he served. He came home, and he went to college and completed college. And he, he, had this, he loved the outdoors. And so he, he completed college, got married to a girl that he met in college and moved to Colorado and became a Colorado Division of Wildlife Ranger. And now he's, he's, he's living in a little cabin out in the mountain responsible for this huge area of, of real estate. And he's the, he's the wildlife ranger for this area. And he has to count the elk and the mule deer and what have you. And he goes the, up, sits on the mountain peaks with his binoculars and tries to tally how much wildlife is out there and all that. But the interesting part to me was, for the first time in his life, he has lots of time on his hands. He, has, he goes back to the cabin where his new bride is, uh, is taking care of their tidy little cabin. And the evenings they sit around the, around the fire and, and read books. And there's just not, not, their life has really slowed down. There's not a lot happening in, in uh, rural Colorado. And then he starts thinking, Pete Lewis starts thinking, and he starts remembering when he's out in the mountains and he's sitting in the cabin. He remembers a Mennonite friend that he had in Oregon who he used to have uh, lively debates with, and they used to discuss things like creation and, uh, and being uh, non-resistant versus serving in the military. And they used to debate all these things, and, and he used to think this Mennonite guy was this really unique person. And he'd think about him different times. And, and then he just kept thinking, this Mennonite friend used to tell him all the time, you need to get a Bible and read it. He didn't have a Bible. You need to get a Bible and read the Bible. So one day he's in town, and he's getting some supplies that he needed, and he walks by a Christian bookstore, and he's like, huh, I ought to get a Bible. So he goes in and buys a Bible. He goes home with his first Bible, that night he's sitting by the fire and he's reading his Bible and his wife looks over and says, what are you reading? He said, a Bible. She said, you're reading the Bible? He said, well, it's the most uh, best-selling book in the world and I never read it. I read all these other books, but I'd never read the Bible. And so he starts reading the Bible. I remember his parents took him to church all, most of his life. So he wasn't like he didn't understand uh, anything about church. But he, he read the first couple chapters of Genesis, and he's like, wow, yeah, I, I need to read that again. He backed up, read it again, and he read it again. And he's like, you know what? This makes sense. All those debates I had with this Mennonite guy back in Oregon, this, this really makes sense. This isn't at all what I was taught in college. Anyways, uh, I need to finish the book sometime. But he, he became converted. But it started by getting the Bible and reading the God of Word, reading the Word of God. The Word of God is, there is nothing to replace it. It is of utmost importance. It is, the, it is what your pastors have to share with you. It's what most of you have in your own hands at home to read it. 
But there is something, uh, there's something special about getting together and having a pastor who studied and prepared and was led of God to stand up and open the word of God and, and uh, feed the lambs and the sheep. That's a primary responsibility of a pastor. It is of utmost importance. And there are some people that are very gifted in that. And so as we think about the calling of a pastor, it's very important that, that we would think about one of the very important qualities is that it's someone who has the gift of understanding God's word and, and feeding lambs and sheep so that they can, uh, so that it can have an effect on their lives. Generally speaking, churches that flourish have a pastor that loves God and his word and is gifted in sharing that word. He serves out of love rather than duty, which is very evident. And it's also very evident that he prayed and studied and prepared. It's also very important that it's not a person that is a show-off or loves the center stage. You know, there are some people that when, uh, when, when you give them a, a microphone, you, you never, they'll never get finished because they just love to, they just love it. They just love to, and I believe that uh, a very good quality of a, of a pastor is that they are willing to share, but they, they always feel like somebody can do it better than them, and they would rather somebody else does it than they themselves and they uh, won't hesitate for a moment to say, you know, you do it. Uh, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. And so a show-off is not uh, a good quality, not somebody that, that loves center stage. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And that's exactly what we want that it's very evident that somebody has been with Jesus. The second point I want to make this morning is that of brokenness. Peter, like I said earlier, was a very uh, bold, outspoken man of passion. He was, but he was so unbroken in so many ways. He was oftentimes a hero, and other times he was a zero. And it seems like Jesus paid special attention to Peter when you read through the scriptures. Uh, Peter's, it was Peter that said to Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, oh no, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster even crows. And Peter was like, you've got to be kidding. That's not who I am. But you know, Peter did. He cursed and denied Jesus three times. And, and the rooster crowed, a very familiar story. It was also Peter that picked up the sword and cut off the high priest's servant's ear in the, in the garden. And it was, when, when I think of, of Peter, I also have to think of after that Mary found the tomb empty, she comes back and the scripture says she told Peter, hey, the tomb's empty. And Peter and John ran to the tomb, but guess what? John, out, John gets there first. And I don't know, maybe John could just simply run faster than Peter, but I wonder if Peter wasn't, a little skeptical and a little, uh, he just, he, he's hanging back a little bit. Just kind of the picture I get uh, of Peter. So it, it's good to know, it's good for me to know 
that God builds his kingdom with broken people. And God uses broken people on a ministerial team. And he, he, does his, he keeps working at people until they are broken because it's very important that a person is broken so that God can use them. It is a must-have quality. This minister is going to have to study as other people go yonder. Other people have, uh, they, they, they don't, they can do things that a minister cannot do at times, and it's just the way it is. I can't tell you, and I, I, don't, I don't need sympathy, it's just, it's just a fact that there are things that a minister cannot do because of his responsibilities to a congregation. And uh, I, I probably said this before, but I remember being called to the ministry a long time ago, and after, after a few weeks or whatever, the thought comes to me, you know, as a young guy, I always had this, boy, it'd be neat to move out to Montana or Colorado or, you know, leave, leave, uh, leave Pennsylvania, you know, do something or maybe be a long-distance truck driver or something. And when you're called to the ministry, it's like, whew, that's all out the window. That's not going to work. And so there's, that's just some of the sacrifices that a minister makes, and there's, it's just uh, something that goes with it. And so you need to be broken and, and submit it to God's will for your life. Another thing that, that happens to a minister is your plans can change so suddenly due to church responsibilities. There can be, uh, there can be funerals. There can be something happen in a congregation. That, and so a minister always makes plans for a family vacation. And after you make the plans, you're like, I hope and pray this works out. At the last minute, you might have to cancel. You just don't know what, what could come up. And I think we all understand that. This minister will be criticized, and a person that is unbroken cannot handle criticism. Uh, it is inevitable a minister will be criticized from time to time, and so it's important that, that we're broken and we can handle criticism and we don't... Uh, lash out at a person that, that is, is criticizing us. A minister will see things that they don't like to see, and it's important that we're unbroken and we know how to handle that. You've all heard the stories probably of, of the minister that sees, a, sees something in a congregation that sees something is amiss, and he goes to the Bible and he says, well, here's the answer. This is what I need to do. And you, you come to church and you preach this sermon, and it just addresses the situation, and you go home and you think, oh, wow, I, I fixed that. And you come back the next Sunday and there it is. Same thing. They didn't, the people didn't change. There's nothing different. And it's like you could become discouraged. But no, uh, a, a broken person realizes that we lead sheep. We don't drive sheep. And so that is, makes all the difference. Another thing that, that a minister uh, needs to deal with from time to time is, and, and for me, it, it has been tough already. It can be very difficult. You can have, a minister can have a baptismal, a wedding, and a funeral message all in the same week. And your emotions, your, you just feel like you went, like somebody ran you through a ringer washer machine, you know, through that. You remember, you know what a ringer washer machine is? The young people are like, though, what's that? But I remember 
a ringer washer machine and you put your stuff through there to squeeze the water out of it and you just feel like you got squished. And those are the, but a person that is broken, God can use them and you, could, and you will be able to go through situations like that. So just very, very important that an individual is broken. And in, in the scripture here, just want to read, and I got to hurry. I told Marion I'll be done by 11. Uh, one verse, in, in, in verse 20, like when you read through this whole John chapter 21, it seems like Peter just is unbroken, and Jesus keeps coming back at him and coming back at him. In verse 20, Peter says, he, then Peter turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, following, and he says to... Uh, he says to Jesus, Peter's seeing Jesus, or in verse 21 is what I want, and he says to Jesus, what's this man going to do? And Jesus' response to him in verse 22 is, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And so and to an, an unbroken person, uh, they are looking at, at what other people are doing and what Jesus is doing in other people's lives, and they say, this isn't fair, that's not fair. But to a broken person, Jesus says, what's that to you? Don't worry about that. You follow me. I called you. You follow me. And so very, very important to be broken. And lastly, my last point is we need to be under authority. Uh, it was Dwight Eisenhower that said, if you really want to see what a man is made of, give him some authority. A minister under God's authority, has authority. Get that? A minister that is under God's authority has authority. In Acts 2 and verse 14, the day of Pentecost, and we won't turn there because of time, but when you're familiar with that portion of Scripture. We see there the boldness of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Peter stood up. And Peter said, I want to tell you how it is. And he just spoke with authority. The first message that Peter preached with authority. I read through that message and I'm so blessed. And that's what that is a quality that a minister needs to have. We need to speak with authority that God gives us. A minister should not stand behind the pulpit and say, I think this. I think that I I wonder maybe if, you know, I'm not sure about this, but, you know, maybe if. No, a minister needs to speak with the authority that God gives him using the, for his basis the word of God and needs to speak with authority. I believe this. I believe that. That's the way Peter preached. This is what the Bible says. This is the answer to our problems. This is this. Right here we have it in the scriptures. And Lambs and sheep need to be led by someone that speaks with authority. Earl Martin said it so well. I've thought about it different times. I believe when Steve's ordination, if I remember right, that's when it was. He had one of the qualification messages. And uh, he, he talked about the three L's. He said, love, listen, and then you can lead. And this morning I talked about love being broken and then being, and being under authority. And that's how you lead when you're under authority. And so the three L's, love, listen to your people, and then lead them.
love God, and uh, love him with all your heart, feed his lambs and his sheep, and be broken, and then preach with authority under authority. A few closing comments very quickly. If the person you are thinking about nominating is married, uh, it's very important. We are, when we're married, we are one flesh, and it's very important that they have a godly wife and someone that will do well serving in a ministry team. It's very important that the person that you're thinking about nominating is humble, that they show humility in their life. Very, very important. It's very important that it is a person of faith and vision, an optimist, somebody that comes to church Sunday after Sunday and says, with God we can do this, people. We can win this town. We can do this. The Bible has the answers. I'm convinced of it. A total optimist. Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So for my pastor, I want an optimist. I want somebody that leads with passion and vision. May God bless each one of us as we fast, as we pray, as we discern uh, the leading of God's spirit in our life and as we discern whether God would have us to nominate someone or not on Wednesday evening. And I have confidence that God will provide us with a godly individual to serve as pastor here at Myerstown as we, the church, listen to him and follow his direction. This person will be called out from among us, which is such a blessing, someone that we know, someone that knows us, and we have done it many times before, and it works. I'm, I have total confidence in the system, and uh, because God is the one that is doing the directing. Let's stand together for a closing prayer, and then, Philip, if you could just have a verse of song, and after that, you are dismissed. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning for each one of my brothers and sisters as we think about and enter into this important work of calling a pastor. I just ask God that you would lead and guide, direct each one of us in every aspect of it. Help us to be sensitive to you as, as you speak to us and help us to be faithful in, uh, in giving the the direction of what we're hearing from you to, to the church and help us to know and understand that if we feel uh, like you're not giving us someone to nominate, that there's no shame in, in not nominating anybody. But I just, I just uh, know, God, that you will speak to enough of people with the right person's name that the individual that you are already calling uh, will be called and, and chosen to, to do this very important work and our prayer is, God, that, that this congregation would continue to flourish and that more people would be blessed and encouraged as they come here to worship, that more people would be born into your kingdom. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you have done in our lives and what you will continue to do in the coming days and weeks. As we leave here today, would your grace, your mercy, and your peace be our portion. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.